welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast, a show about nutrition, dietitians, and their success stories. This podcast, hosted by Kate Agnew and Marie Ferguson, will empower you to realize your professional dreams by giving you access to our global community of dietitians. Through our conversations with nutrition leaders, we'll educate you, inspire you, and help you create more impact as a dietitian. Welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast. I'm Jane Winter, Account Director from Dietitian Connection, and I'm also an accredited practicing dietitian. Today I'm joined by Gabrielle Maston to talk about the place of VLEDs or very low energy diets in weight management for type 2 diabetes. But also, as we like to do in our Dietitian Connection podcast, hear a bit more about her dietetic journey. Gabrielle is an accredited practicing dietitian, exercise physiologist, and author of the book, The Perfect Juice. After working for more than 15 years as a dietitian specializing in chronic disease and weight management, Gabrielle is now undertaking her PhD investigating the use of severely energy-restricted diets in the management of severe obesity through Royal Prince Alfred Hospital Metabolism and Obesity Outpatient Service and the University of Sydney. Gabrielle is also a regular feature writer for popular fitness magazines and a sought-after presenter. She's appeared on TV and radio and made contributions to local and national newspapers across Australia. As I mentioned, today we're going to be talking to Gabrielle about using VLEDs in obesity and type 2 diabetes management. This podcast is not and is not intended to be medical advice, which should be tailored to your individual circumstances. The podcast is for information only, and we advise that you exercise your own judgment before deciding to use the information provided. Professional medical advice should be obtained before taking any action. And a special thank you to Nestle Health Science for supporting this podcast episode. So welcome, Gabrielle, and thanks so much for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. So it sounds like quite an interesting journey um, from private practice and media work into uh, PhD. That's that's quite a transition. Um, so before we get on to VLEDs, can you talk me a bit through your path from graduation um, to PhD candidate? Yeah, certainly. Um so actually, to be honest, when, when I finished uh, uni, uh, it was quite hard to get a job, as I think most students out there uh, are realising. There's not enough jobs for dietitians to go around, especially if you don't have experience behind you. So I didn't let that deter me from being a dietitian that I wanted to be. Um, so I got into private practice. So started off mentoring. Um, I remember I went around to half a dozen dietitians that were in private practice and, and sat in their cons- consultations um, for weeks on end, seeing what they do, asking them about their business, and then I decided to set up my own. So that's what I did for a good, um, oh, it was a long time actually, nine years I had my own private practice. Um, and I, my speciality or what I like to work on is uh, obesity and also chronic disease management like type 2 diabetes, fatty liver disease, cholesterol, um, what would seem as basic things, but I really enjoy it because it does have a lot of um, a big counselling component to it and I love hearing people's stories and I love talking to people, so that suited me really well. Um, and then from there, um, you know, running a business, obviously you always have to think about how are you going to create leads, uh, get, you know, new connections with GPs so that they refer to you or even other allied health professionals and just basically market yourself. Um, and, you know, tapping into the GP market is actually quite 
difficult to do, um, building up those networks. And I thought to myself, well, why not make it even broader um, and let's just get into media. So I started writing to editors of magazines and um, radio presenters and just saying, hey, I'm a dietitian, I'm enthusiastic, I'm a feature writer, I could talk about all these different things, um, let me know if you need any help. So I started off doing a lot of free work, but then it ended up being paid contracts um, and that's how I got involved in the media stuff. And then I thought, well, I've always wanted to work at RPA because uh, that's where I did my, my placement at uni in the Metabolism and Obesity Centre and it was always my dream to someday go back there. And then I saw a job opening up there and I applied and I got the job. Um, yeah, and because it was a junior role and I was not a junior anymore, um, I decided, well, why not fill some of the extra time um, and also help the clinic with quality uh, um, uh, quality review and practices of our clinical services and do some research. And then uh, my manager there said, well, if you're going to do research, why not just do your PhD at the same time? So I thought, well, that's great. I'm here. The opportunities arose. Let's do it. So that's how I ended up from start to finish. <laughs> it sounds a big jump from a bit of quality improvement work to why don't you do your PhD? <laughs> Well, I, I suppose, you know, you see that someone is capable of doing it, why not yes. do it? Yeah, and I think if you're going to embark on research, you may as well get something tangible out of it at the end and put all that work in and actually be real, get the PhD at the end of it. So your experience of working with people with type 2 diabetes, I imagine your management changed quite a bit just with maturity. So you're going from a new graduate uh, working with people with type 2 diabetes, after nine years, I guess the way you manage um, those patients evolves and changes a bit. Can you tell us a bit more about your experience of working with type 2 diabetes? Yes. So like in private practice, I did see a, like a large portion of people with type 2 diabetes, surprisingly a lot of people in the overweight category rather than in the obese category. And I would do things like, you know, uh, moderate energy restriction, like, you know, reductions of 500 calories per day or clean up their diet in terms of make it healthier, cut out the discretionary foods, a little bit of extra exercise. But you're right, as time has gone on, um, the interventions that I'm able to use is a little bit, uh, more intense, as people call it, so more use of uh, very low energy diets, and then also because I'm an exercise physiologist as well, even being as brazen as doing high intensity interval training with people as well, or the combination of the two, which in my experience has worked phenomenally well for a lot of people. So, did you start using VLEDs when you're in private practice, or was it really only when you went to the RPA in that obesity service that you started using them? Yeah, so it was really when I went to RPA and that was because, um, uh, to be honest, when I was in private practice, I did have a negative view of meal replacement diets um, because you hear people, well, I used to go to conferences and hear other people talk about how, you know, they didn't teach people how to eat healthy food and so that they weren't the best option. And so you never really questioned um, these things from people who you believe were more senior and more experienced than you. And it was only until I went to um, RPA and we actually had a specialised clinic for it and then you have, you, you know, you read the research about it um, that I thought, well, hey, these are actually very safe 
and quite effective. And so then you gain confidence in being able to do that too. Yeah, and for people with type 2 diabetes, so the direct trial in the UK was published, I don't know, maybe five years ago now, something like that. Um, And I seem to remember there was quite a bit of publicity um, about also the headlines were that, you know, this direct trial um, led to remission of type 2 diabetes and and there was a bit of publicity about, well, can that really be the case? Can you really get achieve remission? Um, can you explain a bit more about what that direct trial was? Yeah, so the direct trial in the UK was a multi-centred trial and it's important to distinguish that it was actually run in GP practices with the use of either GPs, nurses or dietitians um, that implemented the diet. So it wasn't just, uh, you know, a very controlled, it's real world, basically, the results. Um, And, yes, they they found that when people lost at least 15 kilograms of weight at the 12-month mark, the majority, so 86% of the people that did the VLED achieved diabetes remission, and those that only lost 10 kilos um, 73% of those achievement remission. And so also defining remission, we're talking about a HbA1c below 6.8, okay, and free of medications as well, medications. Um, so that's actually quite good results and had only ever been published in smaller scale studies before where they've seen similar results, but this was more concrete. Um, and as you said, it's quite an older trial, so they have done long-term follow-up so two years down the track to see how many of those people that achieve remission are still under remission. Um, and at 24 months, the intervention group, so 36% were still under remission, and then of the control group, uh, 3%. So if you're thinking about long-term outcomes for type 2 diabetes, that's a phenomenal result yeah. and, and hasn't been published elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. So... Um in terms of this sort of significant weight loss, what is it that causes that effect in type 2 diabetes? How does the impact of weight loss actually lead to such significant changes? Yeah. So obviously this is um, not all the facets of it are not completely known, but what is thought is that people with type 2 diabetes have a genetic predisposition to holding body fat within the pancreas and liver, so sitting around the beta cells. And so the beta cells lose their function of producing insulin and therefore they become type 2 diabetic in the end. So then when weight loss occurs, as we've seen with also fatty liver disease, when weight loss occurs, fat around those organs decrease and then function returns. Um, and obviously that is dependent, though, on how long someone has had that condition for. So, again, with the direct trial, we're talking about people who have had diabetes for six years. So we don't actually know if those results can apply to people with longer-standing diabetes. Right. Okay. So so remission probably is the right term because if they were to regain weight or something else happened, then they most likely would become type 2 diabetic again. So it's not a cure, it is a remission. Correct, yes. Yeah, okay. And do you think, so they used um, VLEDs to achieve that sort of weight loss. Was that that the standard intervention? So the intervention group was 800 calories. 
um, for people reaching up to a BMI of 40 and then it was 1,000 calories for a BMI greater than 40. So use of meal replacement products only, so a total meal replacement diet. Right, okay. And do you think that like 15 kilos weight loss in a year is pretty substantial, isn't it? I mean, that's a fairly significant weight loss. Um, What do you think for just your clinical experience would be the likelihood of achieving that without an intervention, such a sort of intensive intervention like a VLED? Um, Look, I have seen people do it. Yeah, I've had clients do it. Obviously, they're the more motivated clients. Um, I tend to find that people are very motivated by health conditions, um, especially if their doctor has which it may not be the right thing, but given them a death sentence, if you don't do this, then you, you know, you won't last very long. Um, and, and so they're able to do that. Uh, but that's also, so if we're not talking about using a VLED, that's also with very intense exercise training in there. Um, and, and this is what the literature has shown as well, is that when we do a VLED, they're more likely to achieve that weight loss in a short period of time. And that's what I've observed in my own practice too. If we do the VLED, we see that 15 kilograms weight loss earlier on. So a a person with severe obesity could see that weight loss within three or four months, you know, compared to a moderately energy-restricted diet, which is going to take them much longer. Um, And what I've also found in my qualitative investigations is that when people lose weight quicker, it's more motivating for them to stay on plan because they see the results straight away um, and then, you know, adherence is better rather than this long, drawn-out weight loss process that they lose half a kilo here or, you know, one kilo a month or whatever the standard practice is that normally people do. Uh, people tend to drop off the program. Yeah, yeah. So can you tell us a bit more about um, what VLED products actually are and what some of the challenges are in implementing a VLED for a a patient? Yeah, so VLED products are meal replacement products that are formulated specifically to contain um, enough nutrients so that people can live off them, okay? So uh, Nestle OptiFast is nutritionally adequate and safe to use Um, and they come in different product ranges. So there's bars, soups, shakes or desserts, um, in portion-controlled satchels, you know, which people consume typically three times a day with the addition of uh, low-starch, low-energy vegetables and also a fat allowance, which is typically 10 grams of oil per day. Um, So tips on how to implement these. uh, I would first say that make sure your client is in agreement to using it. When I'm giving people choices about what options they can take to lose weight or improve their health, I typically give them two options. Look, we can cut out your discretionary foods and and reduce your energy intake by X amount and do some exercise. Um, Or you could have option B, which is a VLED that um, uh, has guaranteed weight loss results. So, you, you know, you can lose one to two kilograms per week, depending if you're male or female. So with the VLED, you have guaranteed weight loss results that we can report on through the literature. Um, So people tend to like that. It's quite motivating for them. I am, however, very upfront about, look, the first week is going to be very hard. 
you will feel hungry until you kick into the state of ketosis. Um, so in that time frame, you can use these several strategies that I'm going to give you to get over the hunger. Um, but then after that, once you get into a bit of a routine and a habit, that you'll see the weight come off and you'll be highly motivated to do it. And is it slightly terrifying sometimes for patients when they think about having a, a formulated or not a, a very low energy diet in place of food for eight weeks or whatever it is that you prescribe 12 weeks? You know, is that a bit confronting? Um, look, I think in the start when, when you first say it, uh, there's a bit of hesitation sometimes. Sometimes there's not. Sometimes people are very gung-ho and just say, look, tell me whatever it takes, I'll do it. Because, you know, living with diabetes is it impacts your whole life. You know, people might be on insulin injecting themselves every day and that's not pleasant or taking their blood glucose read readings. Um, so there's a high degree of motivation to change it. But, um, you know, on the other hand, though, you know, people can be hesitant, but I find that after they've completed the first week, there's buy-in. As soon as they see the weight loss, then that trumps everything. And then, you know, and what I found interviewing patients for my studies is that they prefer to do that diet over food-based diets because first it's simple and easy to follow. So there's minimal um, cognitive stuff going on about, oh, what should I cook? How many serving sizes? That's all taken care of. Um, it tends to be cheaper than buying food um, and it's, you know, convenient basically. They can take a bar in their purse for lunch and that's it. And is it 12 weeks your standard if you're introducing this? Is that what you aim for? Yeah. So, look, I always say 12 weeks, but in one of the um, – I did a systematic review and meta-analysis on people with severe obesity as one of my first papers, and we found that as long as people adhered to the diet for six weeks – then they could achieve 10% clinically significant weight loss, which is what you're after. So as long as they do six weeks, they'll get those health improvements. Obviously, if you want type 2 diabetes remission, you might go for a little bit longer, but that would be the minimum amount. And I say that to people. Look, I want you to try to do it for 12 weeks, but at a minimum, if you really, really can't do it, six weeks is enough. And at least that gives people goalposts. Yeah. And some of the strategies talked about to overcome hunger. So what, because that must be the first week must be really tough um, in terms of just even the thought that you're not eating um, and, you know, is a shake really equivalent to a meal in their minds? What, what are some of the your sort of tips and tricks for getting through that first week for your patients? Yeah, look, and all these, these tips have come from the patients themselves. So yeah, I know right. they work because <laughs> um, running the VLED groups, um, you know, you get a lot of information, feedback information about what people do. Um, the biggest texture or taste that people miss is crunchy and savoury because a lot of the products are sweet in nature even though they have soups. So people do all sorts of weird and wonderful things with vegetables so baking their vegetables or doing kale chips, putting garlic, putting salt or pepper, herbs and spices. Um, I've had um, people make like a uh, like parfait or like mousse type things out of their shakes using gelatine um, or even you know, the equivalent of an ice cream by freezing it, you know, adding things like coffee to their shake, like espresso coffee or different essences and stuff like that. So you know, I try to give all 
I try to give patients the knowledge that I've gained from other people that have been quite successful so that they can use those tips themselves to get around it. But I think the key um, is that prescription of vegetables and, and the fat allowance so that there's a little bit more variety in the flavouring and texture of food. So in actual fact, they could be eating, um, increasing their intake of vegetables and learning a lot more about vegetables um, in that time of a VLED compared with what they were having before. Yes, completely. And and I have found that. So once people have done the VLED, they learn the importance of vegetables. They learn how to manipulate them to meals that they enjoy. And that's a habit that tends to then stick when they come off the VLED later on down the track. Mm. And just uh, going back to the direct trial for a moment, um, so I understand that there's now a similar trial that is going to be set up in Australia. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Yes. So it is running out of the University of Sydney um, and a lot of my colleagues or well, my supervisor for my PhD is running that trial um, and at the moment is is still under the recruitment phase. So it's only been in place for the past six months um, and they are still recruiting GP practices across Sydney uh, and obviously clients. So you know, at the moment, their their participants are only six months into the program. Yep. No reported data on it yet. And do you have, from your work over the years with um, VLEDs, do you have any sort of standout patient stories that, you know, people that maybe were hesitant or fully embraced it or, you know, were just success beyond what you might have expected? Yeah, look, I do, and this patient always sticks out to me because it just um, <laughs> just trumps every single negative perception <laughs> people have about VLEDs. Um, he was an old gentleman, so 66 years old, and he was um, insulin-dependent type 2 diabetes and had had that for over seven years and obese as well um, with depression. So his HbA1c when he first saw me was 8.5 with a BMI of 33. And sedentary job, he, though, wanted the goal first to reduce medications and then second to also run the city to surf. So as people in Sydney know that the city to surf is over 17 kilometres long and he didn't want to walk it, he wanted to run it. So I thought, wow, this is going to be quite a challenge, but let's do it anyway. <laughs> let's see how we go. So we did a VLED, so it was just a, um, a three-meal replacement per day with the low-starch vegetables and fat allowance. And then at the same time, a programmed graded exercise, so a combination of walking 20 minutes a day with uh, resistance training on top of that as well, so full body training. So the research with diabetes as well with uh, exercise is quite great, is, is excellent actually when you add in full body resistance training. So the two combined is like magic. <laughs> so anyway, it took six months. Um, his HbA1c did reduce to 6.5. Actually, I should go back and say that I did advise the patient to go back to his GP to reduce his insulin dosing at the start of the VLED because you can't just throw someone into a VLED with that much insulin um, because they'll obviously go into a hypo within two days. <laughs> so that's not good. So I sent him to his GP and advised approximately a 50% reduction in insulin, but obviously let that, you know, let the GP figure that out. Um, 
And then in six months' time, the HbA1c was 6.5. He had reduced his insulin dosing by 70%. Wow. So the guy that was like on 80 units per day, you know, he was on a phenomenal amount of insulin. And as people know, the more insulin people take, the greater the weight gain as well. So as insulin dosing comes down, so does weight loss with that medication reduction. So he didn't actually come off all medications, but he did get that target 6.5, which was excellent. He lost 19.8 kilograms of weight loss. Wow. Which was, you know, he was over the moon. Yeah. Um, And after a year, he ran the city to surf. Yeah, so we did HIIT training. So, in the, so with the graded exercise, we started off easy and then eventually we went into more intense where he was running, walking, running, walking, running until he could actually last the 17 kilometres. Wow, that's brilliant. Uh, At 66, he's not 46 or 36. No, exactly, that's what I'm saying. Like he just trumps everything. He's an older gentleman. He had the long-standing diabetes, you know, so he's not textbook as what you would yes. see the direct trial, but he's a really good example of what you can achieve and you know he's over the moon you know and I know that a couple of years down the track he he's involved with a lot of charity work and he abseiled down one of the skyscrapers in Sydney sponsored you know (laughs) (laughs) so that is that's a interesting point you bring up is uh the exercise with a VLED because a lot of people are also concerned that um, they won't be able to exercise if they're on such a severe energy restriction uh, and it's felt that, you know, they'll be too tired or whatever the reason that uh, a VLED really can't support um, an exercise regime. How do you manage the combination? Because obviously it's crucial, and particularly in someone who's 66 who you don't want to lose muscle mass. Um, how do you combine exercise and VLED successfully? Well, you can combine resistance training straight away because resistance training doesn't use up that many many calories to do, Mm. okay, Uh, but I would be a little bit on the conservative side with the cardio, so that's why during the intensive phase of the VLED, I would only ever prescribe something like walking and the resistance training, Um, but then as you start to move through the phases of um, that type of diet, so in the first 12 weeks, you do it strict or intense, and then you move into a partial meal replacement which you drop one shake, add a meal, another couple of months down the track, you drop another shake, add a meal. So when you're going through those transitions phases, that's when you can start ramping up your cardio to something more intense. And, yes, people, when you're in the intense phase in the first two, three weeks, they do feel tired. They do feel lethargic because they're coming off that high of being on so much food, (laughs) you know. Um, But then they do get used to that energy restriction and the energy does come back. And with exercise, we know that as we get fitter, we feel more energetic. So we get increased feelings of well-being and then we can do more as well. And also with the weight loss. So if you're walking around with 10 kilograms worth of weight on you and then all of a sudden you're losing weight, you feel like you're as light as a feather. Yes. And yeah. Weight more. So sometimes it is just mind over matter when it comes to the exercise. But, of course, yeah. as a professional, when you're prescribing it, you want to be a little bit more conservative and grade up slowly according to your patient's abilities and, of course, what they want to do. And with the tailoring off, which you just mentioned, so over time you replace one 
shake or bar or whatever it is you're having with a meal so that gradually the aim is to get to three meals a day. But do you find that patients tend to continue on with one shake maybe or, you know, at the end of of this process, how do your patients usually like to continue on to try and maintain that weight loss? Yeah, look, I'd say a big majority of them like to stay on at least a partial meal replacement indefinitely. So starting off the day with a breakfast and then having your normal lunch and and dinner meal. And I think that, you know, also we can see when people tell us that they don't like eating breakfast or they're too late rushing out the door, you know, having a shake is something easy people can do and they find it convenient. So it's a habit that kind of sticks. Yeah, yeah. So they do find it as a useful as a tool for ongoing maintenance of that weight loss. Yeah, yeah. And then people are always, like if they start to see a regain in weight, it's something that they can also go back to, the intense phase. And I know that they do that in the direct trial. They call it a rescue package where they do the intense phase again for four weeks if they've had a certain amount of weight regain. But I find that patients do that naturally. So they'll come back to you and say, oh, you know, I've gone off the wagon a bit. It's been Christmas. I just want to do, you know, the full thing again for a couple of weeks to just get the weight off. And so that's okay too. It's just adjusting it to fit people, what their goals are and what their lifestyle is like at the time because we know that our lives lives always ebb and flow with different things going on. So, yeah, yeah, just adaptable. And you mentioned, so when when you're in private practice, probably not so much in the metabolic clinic, but uh, if you sent back to a GP a letter to say that you were starting a, a patient or a client on a VLED, were they quite supportive or, you know, what were GPs' attitudes to the use of VLEDs as a weight loss tool? Um, yeah, look, I've never had anyone say not to do it. <laughs> so, but I guess that also comes with developing those strong networks with your GPs. So when they know that you do a good job and they're confident in referring to you, then that becomes that implicit trust that you know what you're doing. Mm. So I've never had anyone question why. And would you provide guidance to them on blood tests that you wanted or, you know, what sort of medical monitoring they should be doing? Because I imagine that a lot of GPs are actually quite unfamiliar with what is required for a patient on a VLED. Yes. So I would say, you know, advising blood tests after three months or ongoing, you know, HbA1cs every three months. But look, you know, in private practice in particular, I find that the patient's the patients that you see are the ones that are concerned about their health, that the GP has a good track on anyone. That's why they ended up in your office. They're not the type of people that end up being lost to follow-up. So, again, in that environment, you know, there was a lot of, you know, consensus with what the GP was doing and what I was doing as well. Yeah. And and you touched on before that, you know, when you were sort of a a newer dietitian and you had talk from more experienced clinicians that VLEDs weren't really the right way to go. They weren't teaching patients about anything. You know, we know that dietitians and other members of the healthcare team actually are quite inherently sceptical and reluctant to use VLEDs. And I know that you've recently published on the attitudes of HCPs towards VLEDs. What would you say or what were your findings from that firstly about those sort of attitudes um, to VLEDs and and what would you say to a dietitian who's hesitant to use them in their practice? Yeah, look, so the the results of the study were not 
surprising because <laughs> you know when you work in the profession you kind of get the vibe of what everyone's about yes um <laughs> so obviously what came out was you know the whole thing that you know when you do when you use meal replacements they don't teach people how to eat they're not in line with the clinical practice guidelines for healthy eating and so therefore we shouldn't use them they've got poor long-term weight loss outcomes they're quite unsafe which i think that sentiment comes from historical underpinnings of when, you know, there were deaths in, in the United States many, many years ago um, when they used non-nutritionally sound collagen-based meal replacement products, okay, which isn't used today and they've been reformulated. But I guess those legacies and those perceptions have held through to this day. Um, and then also, again, in, in your practice, you do tend to focus on people that haven't done so well because they kind of annoy you. <laughs> well, why couldn't I make that, per- not make that person, but you know what I mean? Why didn't X, Y, Z work and people are non-compliant, like all that weight bias stuff, you know, why aren't people compliant to what I'm telling them to do rather than thinking about the bigger picture as to why they couldn't do it because the fact is yes. out of control. So, yeah, the, the views were overall pretty negative and people didn't tend to use them very often in clinical practice. So what I would say to people that are quite sceptical about it is actually have a look at the literature because the literature is quite conclusive that they are very safe and they have been safe for, you know, over 20 years now, Um, you know. So in terms of safety, that's taken care of. You have really good weight loss outcomes. So, you know, it's guaranteed that if people adhere to it, um, one to two kilograms per week, you know, it achieves clinically significant weight loss. It's been shown time and time again in randomised control trials and then also systematic reviews and meta-analysis. So it's worth giving it a go. Um, And I know one of the arguments are, well, people aren't compliant. Well, (laughs) this is where my last paper comes in that hasn't been published, but what we're finding is that even if people are non-compliant partially, right, they still achieve clinically significant weight loss anyway. Because if you think about it, a VLED is a significant reduction to what people are normally eating. So even if they do half of the things that you say, they're still going to lose weight. Mm. So it's it's worth trying. And are there any um, sort of absolute contraindications? Like are there patients that um, would walk into your clinic that, you know, you think they might work but you just wouldn't go there with that patient? When would you absolutely not use a VLED? Yeah, so like... Uh, kidney failure, um, you know, cardiac failure, coronary, yeah, you know, um, pregnancy, all those really, you know, stage stage four cancers, that type of thing. So, you know, the, the stuff where malnutrition then becomes an issue. Um, but in saying that, you know, we've had, uh, we work closely with the liver clinic here at RPA and even when people have had, you know, stage three and four ki- uh, liver disease, sorry, Um, we've still done VLEDs in really close connection to the specialist in that area, the dietitian specialist in that area, because, you know, weight loss helps them significantly. So, you know, even with the contraindications, sometimes, you know, the endocrinologists are the ones pushing it. No, we need to do this. Otherwise they will die. And this is the fastest way to lose weight. And we're just going to do it in a really supported fashion and monitor their medications and their bloods more closely than we would with somebody else. 
Yeah, so it's a matter of them, if if you consider that they are a high-risk sort of patient, but the benefits were going to outweigh that as long as they are in a you know, closely supervised, monitored setting, then you can um, use them. Because I know that in Melbourne, um, there's uh, one of the centres has used VLEDs in hemodialysis um, at home patients. Um, and I think it was for... Uh, the group of patients who might have been waiting for a transplant, trying to get on the transplant list, but couldn't get on because of their weight. Yes, yes. So that's the times that we've used it here at RPA as well. Yeah, yeah right. For transplants. Or, you know, they are now doing combination transplant and bariatric surgery at the same time. Wow. Is, yes. Yeah, so they're big, big operations, you know. Um, and so, yeah, you do need to get weight off really quickly. So that's been done, you know, a handful of times. I wouldn't say a lot of the time, but a handful of times. Yeah. And if dietitians are sort of interested but um, a little not feeling really confident um, in implementing a VLED program, where do you suggest they go to sort of upskill um, in the area? Is it their own reading or...? Um, yeah, I mean, you can obviously doing your own reading helps. Um, uh, and also, like Nestle Optifast, they do have a lot of educational material on their website. Um, a lot of the clinical trials that you read that you have used VLEDs are quite detailed about what their protocols are. Um, so you can do that. I know that I've been involved in workshops through the Sydney, through the University of Sydney, um, obesity workshops that I've done talks on there too. So I guess there's many different avenues to get educated. But uh, look, you know, I think. Um, finding someone that you know uses it, like a mentor, yes, that helps, yeah. you know, because then you hear it from somebody else and their experience and all the little tricks and tips that they use as well. Yeah. So do, and do you think um, the sort of education and knowledge about VLEDs is a barrier to dietitians actually implementing them in practice? I do, yeah, because it's not readily, I mean, well, that's what showed in my survey is that the, what we perceive is not matching the literature. Yeah, but I guess, it, you know, it's just a matter, isn't it, of having a whole range of options that yeah. you can offer to patients. And as you say, you explain it to a patient, they may not be interested, but they may be really interested and, and we as dietitians shouldn't be making assumptions on their behalf of what they will find acceptable and what they won't find acceptable. No, completely. And that's when it comes down to patient-centred care and also having those skills as the clinician. I describe it as having many tools in the tool belt that you can pull out at any time depending on the person who's in front of you and what their particular needs are. I mean, everybody's different, lifestyle's different, beliefs are different, so you might need to pull out, you know, a non-dieting approach or, or whatever, low-carb approach if that's what the person is into, but just have the range of knowledge so that you can suit the person that's coming in through that door. And if dietitians are uh, starting to use this, if I'm thinking maybe predominantly in private practice, um, from your perspective of being in private practice and the business sort of knowledge that you built up over that time, um, how can they sort of raise awareness of the use of VLEDs with other health professionals that they might be working with? They might be working with diabetes educators or practice nurses or GPs or physios, yeah. you know, a whole range of healthcare professionals who may not have ever heard of VLEDs and, you know, as you say, think it's all a bit of a strange intervention. How do you suggest dietitians go about sort of raising the awareness? 
I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is that if I was doing this in private practice now, I would package it up as a group program that I run for type 2 diabetes. I mean, and I'm pretty sure that Medicare has something that you can bill on that. Yeah. <laughs> it's important. And VLEDs are typically done in groups. So you could, you know, put a program together and approach the GPs in your area or other allied health professionals. Just say, hey, I'm going to run a VLED group, you know, three times a year. This is the date that I'm going to start. If you've got any patients that you are having difficulty managing their diabetes or their weight, send them over to me and I'll, I'll help you out. Because you got to remember also, on the other hand, that for GPs, these are chronic patients that keep coming back time and time again and there's nothing that they can really do for them except for adjust medications. And they've probably been talking to them about weight loss till the cows come home, uh, but it's just not, you know, telling someone to lose weight and actually helping them is completely different. <laughs> I say helping or supporting them yeah. and giving them knowledge is two different things. So if you solve that problem for the GPs, you know, you create that network, you show them that you get really good results, always report back. Those letters that you send back to GP are marketing tools. So whenever someone comes to see you, you write a letter, no matter whether they've done good or they've done bad or whatever it is, you send them a letter and tell them what you've done. Because yeah. in the front of mind, the next person that walks in the door, they're going, hey, that dietitian just sent, you know, I'll remember about that dietitian. She just saw one of my other patients. Maybe she can help this person too. Yeah, good advice. And I've got two more questions. One is um, a little bit off the VLED, but it's more about the PhD. Um, it, <laughs> any any dietitians or student dietitians out there listening, uh, what would you say to those considering a PhD? Because it's a big, it's a mountain in front of some people that you're just like, I, I couldn't possibly ever do that. Would your advice be go for it? Um, look, it depends what you want to do. You know, for me, it was always, it was always like, I wish I could do a PhD, but the opportunity didn't align. You know, I had to work. I couldn't be a student <laughs> permanently. Um, so that was a bit of a barrier. So I know people are maybe not in the financial situation to be able to give up work to do that. Um, but if you are, hey, go ahead. And if you end up in a job opportunity, like I did at the hospital, that you can do it concurrently, well, phenomenal, go for it. You know, there's always benefit to getting an additional qualification and always benefit in learning. Um, and as I'm doing it, you can do it part-time. I always say to people, it's a very, very, very slow burn, but that's okay because eventually you'll get there, right? If it takes you 10 years, you'll still get there and eventually you'll have a qualification. It does open up extra doors. Uh, why not? If you want to do it, why not? Yes, I always figure, I think um, I tell people it's more an exercise in persistence uh, and resilience than it is in any academic skill. Yeah, learning to take constructive criticism <laughs> on your writing. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that was the biggest thing. My heart used to sink each time I would send off a draft and it'd come back with all red markings on it. Uh, but, you know, you have those feelings like, I can't do it, I'm a failure, this and that. But once you can get over that and just say, look, this is the process, they're going to find something wrong with your paper. It's never going to be perfect. But yeah. it comes back better. Yeah, it comes back better, better. And, and also improves your writing as well. I mean, how are you, we never have that same opportunity to learn how in, to improve our writing uh, because people don't ever give us feedback. Like I went all through my undergrad not knowing how a terrible writer I was. <laughs> 
<laughs> because you never got feedback. But, you know, that's how you improve with the comments. Yes, yes. You just have to develop that thick skin, don't you? Yes, yeah, exactly. And just finally, um, back onto the VLED topic, what would be your top tip or two maybe um, for dietitians to really successfully use VLEDs in their practice? Um, I would say first you have to get patient or participant buy-in, okay? Uh, figure out if that's what they want to do and tap into those emotional motivators. So when I say that, it's, you know, staying alive to watch their grandkids grow up or, um, you know, keeping their kidney function in workable conditions so they can stay alive. Those types of things are big emotional drivers. And then tell them about the results, what to expect, because no other diet can we say that, you know, on our hand on our heart that if you do this, you will lose weight. So, yes. and, and that's motivating in itself. So you have to get the patient buy-in. That's how you're going to get adherence and that's how you're going to get the results. Well, thank you so much, Gabrielle, for your time today and insights into using VLEDs because I think they are sort of, even though they've been around a very long time, they're still kind of a novel intervention um, for weight management, I think. And as you say, there is a lot more research out there and, and people can go and have a look at the research and actually see. Um, and it's like anything, you know, it's going to work really well for some people and other people not so much. And we know that weight loss is most successful if you're doing something that you can actually stick to um, and that's different for different people. So it was really, really interesting to hear your insights and some of your tips and tricks for um, improving compliance um, and just to get a perspective on, as you say, uh, another tool that dietitians can have um, to help their clients uh, through their weight loss and particularly if they have type 2 diabetes because sometimes people might be nervous about using a VLED in someone um, who has diabetes. So thanks so much for your time today. It was a fascinating story and also just story of your career and we'd also like to thank Nestle Health Science for supporting the podcast podcast episode today. So thanks, Gabrielle. Well, thanks so much for having me. Had a blast. To get all of the links and resources we discussed through this episode, you can go to dietitianconnection.com slash podcasts. And if you'd like to support the Dietitian Connection podcast, please leave a review for us and a rating on the Apple Podcast app. Tell us what you thought about this episode, what you learned, and share your guest requests for us to consider for future episodes. We really value hearing from you and we really value your feedback. So please, please hit that review button.